We are continuing in our Acts series, and I'll be reading the scripture today, which comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Please give your full, undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own, lang- in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. At this time, will we now give our attention to the preaching of God's holy word? Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Thank you, Pastor Deepan. It's an immense privilege and joy always, always to be able to share God's word with you today. We're going through the book of Acts. And we said at the outset that the author Luke uh, wrote Acts as part two. Uh, This is part two to what Jesus said and did, part two to how Jesus lived and died, claiming that he came down from heaven to save sinners, part two to how Jesus resurrected. He arose from the dead, as we sang about. And then in the opening chapter of Acts, it says he ascended into heaven. People were bewildered. They kept gazing up into the skies and Angels told him, why do you keep looking up here? He's coming back. And after the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of God, the Father uh, Almighty, he poured out his Holy Spirit, a sovereign, all-powerful, majestic person of God. He poured out his Holy Spirit to fill and empower his people to accomplish a mission Oh, there's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does in people's lives. Wonderful. But for one primary prevalent purpose, it's to be on a mission to be as witnesses of the gospel. It's to spread the good news, to spread the gospel. This is why the Holy Spirit has been given to his people. Now, there are two popular ways... uh, Religious people or even people who go to church settle for much less than the Spirit of God. Two ways we settle for much less than the real thing, the real person, the Spirit of God, and His mission. Number one is tradition. Okay, we just get very traditional. 
Tradition is something you grew, you, uh, grew up with. Right, you don't have to think much about it. Your family raised you in it. You were maybe even baptized in it. You went to a certain school. You were catechized. You got certificates. You went through the routines. But it mm, never really became real or personal to you. Like, it doesn't really move your heart. You know, tradition, for a lot of people, is really, really good. It can be used for a lot of good. Even in the scriptures, there's a tradition to it. You ought to be faithful to and protect and preserve. However, for a lot of people, especially in America, tradition is, um, can kind of leave you dead. Traditional religion is uh, nice as, uh, as long as it doesn't cost you too much. You see, tradition is nice as long as it doesn't inconvenience you, like convert you. Like it asks you to change. Or it asks you to commit to something. It asks you to become more like this. Look at the reaction to the real person, the real thing, when the Holy Spirit came down. Notice how the crowd reacted to them, and they did not say, oh, Look at the first Christian worshipers. Look how traditional they are. Look how same, same they are. Look how routine it's, this seems to be. No, in fact, their first reaction was, they must be drunk. These people must be drunk. It's broad daylight. Wow, they, they're drunk in the morning? That's one way we can settle. You and I can settle for much less than the Spirit of God is tradition. Second, I would say it's an overreaction to a lot of people dead in tradition. What I would call drama. Let's create a lot of drama. Let's make worship, church, as dramatic as it can be, full of sights and sounds and sensations and professional actors and singers and storylines on stage. Church ought to be there to compete with Disney, the NFL. Some of you are watching the NFL right now. Social media giants. But let me submit this to you, my friends. I've been down this road. I really have. No matter how emotional, captivating, lively, and inspiring it may be at that moment. Listen to me, my friends. No matter how sensory, experiential, captivating it may be, you can go to a concert for that. You can go to any kind of production for that. Can I just ask you to consider, that doesn't mean it's the work of the Holy Spirit? No matter how enlivening and dramatic it may be, does not guarantee that's the real thing. That it's God come down in the person of the Holy Spirit. Bono, again, the lead singer of U2, used to joke, we are running the best revivals in town. He's taking a jab at churches. He says, hey, a lot of you churches are trying to compete on the same platform as global rock stars. Don't try. We're going to run the best ones when it just comes to drama. 
Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 of Acts chapter 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Real Christianity, the real thing, is never the result of something you and I do. But it suddenly there came from heaven. The real thing is not something you grasp, you manufacture, you script, you produce, you demand. You do your best to get it. No, it says, but suddenly there came from heaven. The real thing, the real thing, the real person of the Holy Spirit, sovereign and majestic and throne, does not obey your orders. Just suddenly he's the one that comes down. And Martin Lloyd-Jones Doctor turned pastor, commentary, says real Christianity is something that comes down and takes you up. Any notion that you and I are the ones to do our best to reach up there and grab a hold of God, to get him to do something for us. You know, the most popular American belief is we should help ourselves so God can help us too. Lethally wrong. Like, it's not even on the same ballpark that's nowhere found in the scriptures. Why did the Holy Spirit come down? Like, why did he come down? What were they? Suddenly, just out of heaven, like where the wind blows, wherever it pleases, the Holy Spirit came down. And when the Holy Spirit comes down, he takes you up. And when he takes you up, just as we sang, he holds you fast. He will not put you back down. You see, there's a lot of emotional experiential things you can go through. Been through a lot. I like it. I really do. I know you do too. But if it's something you could take up on a Sunday, but then you completely forget and put it back down on a Monday or Wednesday, and the entire trajectory of the rest of your life makes no difference whatsoever what you thought you got on Sunday, I would suggest to you again, that's not the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit of God comes out and takes you up and he doesn't let you go. If Christianity is something you can grab a hold of, you can take up and put back down, that's something you have. That's something we make. That's something we want. Holy Spirit, this is God himself. Hey, my friends, I can't muster this today. I cannot at all. I've just been praying. When the Holy Spirit comes down, grabs a hold of your heart and your life, do you honestly think he's going to put you back down? See, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes out? What's the first thing that happens right away when the presence of God just falls down, touches down? Worship. Worship. Not a lesson, not a class, not a seminar, not how you can become a better wife or husband. Not even a social justice campaign. The first thing that happens when the Spirit of God touches down is people erupt in worship. Oh, the Holy Spirit come down, come down. He came down and Luke records the people said, you know, it sounded like, again, human language fails us here, you know. It's not exactly like, but it, I don't know how you describe God 
I don't know how any of you would perfectly articulate what it's like to be met by God. Here it says what sounded like wind. Like a rushing wind came into the room. Just like the wind in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. That was hovering over the face of the waters. Empty, dark, and void. That wind was the Holy Spirit of God creating everything out of nothing. You talk about the creative intelligence and mastery of the Holy Spirit. Everything you see was made by him. Sounded like that, a wind. And then it said the tongues of fire, tongues of fire came to rest upon each one. Thank God not all of them were lit up by fire and just burnt to death. But tongues of fire, fire, symbol of something all-consuming, purifying. Tongues of fire rested upon each one as Moses met and talked with God at a burning bush. As God showed up on a fire on top of Mount Sinai. Wind, fire, unmistakable signs of the presence of God. And when God touches down, my friends, when the Holy Spirit comes down, what happens? What happens? What must happen? What naturally happens? Worship erupts. Worship erupts. You know, the crowd gathered there in Jerusalem. There was a lot of people there. They say, we hear them. We hear them telling us about the mighty, marvelous works of God. You see, the worship of God is when his people gather filled by his spirit and tell and declare the mighty, marvelous works of God. And all were amazed and astonished. Second time it is said in a different way, in the ESV at least. And all were amazed and perplexed. When's the last time you were so astonished and amazed and perplexed? I assure you, when God comes and touches down, you will be. Oh, the Holy Spirit of God, when he comes down, worship erupts. Uh, two features of this new worship. Two features of what I would call Christian worship. First, it is inclusive. Most inclusive. Uh, it's reported there were probably 120 people gathered there in worship at first. Just 120 were worshiping. And then there were a lot of foreigners in the crowd. And Luke is very careful to highlight all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he says again, each one was filled with the Holy Spirit and just erupted in worship. My friends, this is Old Testament category, hierarchy, religion, shattering reality. A new era has dawned. What theologians might call a new stage of redemptive history has arrived. All, each one was filled with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 reads this. Isaiah 49, let me turn there. This. Isaiah 49 verse 6. 
as the ancient prophet. Here's what he prophesied. He says, this is God. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Old Testament defying, transcending, shattering reality. Here's why. Different languages, different ethnicities, different nations, different peoples. In our passage in Acts chapter 2, they are all spoken to and won over to the worship of God. How so? Not just the 120 who are all filled with the Holy Spirit. All the foreigners gathered at Jerusalem that day. They were one of, so many of them were won over in the worship of the one triune living God. How so? Luke tells us, those tongues of fire that fell down on each and every worshiper was a gift. It was the grace of the Holy Spirit to enable and stimulate their worship lingo so that they were able to speak actual foreign languages. What? As people were filled with the Holy Spirit, declaring the mighty, marvelous works of God, your cousin James started to speak Portuguese. Your brother over there, who never went to school, started to speak fluent Japanese. Your sister, who you grew up with, you know she never learned this language was able to praise and speak about God, his might, in a fluent, articulated, intelligible foreign language. This is grace for inclusion. Now, I'm not going to fall into a tangent here. This is what we call the gift of tongues. I believe there might be two kinds, two kinds. The first is this kind. You are able to speak miraculously, supernaturally, a foreign language you never learned. I think this is an irrepeatable issue here, over here, what happened in Acts chapter 2 for another day, just like Jesus went up, and he's going to come back, but he's not going to come back the way he first came. So I think this is an irrepeatable episode, because I think it's a preview of what heaven, the future age, is going to be like, what worship in heaven is really going to be like, where all the tribes, tongues, and nations are going to worship God in their distinct colors and skins and ethnicities and their, their cultures, but praising God because greater glory to God in the diversity of all the nations, all the tongues and tribes gathered together to give glory to God. That is a gift of tongues. It's a miracle. I think there's also a second kind. Second, First Corinthians talks about it. It might be a private angelic language that helps you to pray, empowers you to pray. But this first kind, where you actually speak a foreign language, is more desirable, more powerful. You should go public with it because people can understand what you are saying about God. God himself gives grace through his Holy Spirit in direct reversal of the confusing and dividing of languages at the Tower of Babel, which breeds all kinds of suspicions and mistrust and maybe even animosity. And right here in Acts chapter 2, at the very first church that God started by pouring down his Holy Spirit, overnight, God makes his people global. 
On that day, God made them cosmopolitan. By the gifting, the grace of his Holy Spirit, he wanted to win the world. The first feature of Christian worship, this new worship, it's so inclusive. You know, why would God make himself understandable? Why would he want to do that? Why would he make his word and his worship accessible to everyone from the start? Because this is a religion of grace. God planted a church. This is the first church plant, if you will. And God himself did it this way. From the very start, I'm going to speak to, reach, and break through all barriers. You don't have to learn one sacred language to read the Quran. You don't have to travel to one holy place in the Middle East. I'll translate. I'll adjust. I'll become accessible to you. And God himself will say, I'm going to cross all geography boundaries. I'm going to cross gender boundaries. I'm going to cross racial boundaries, ethnic boundaries, linguistic boundaries. I'm going to cross boundaries of you don't have to be spiritual to begin with. I'm going to cross you don't have to have a good record. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to present a perfect wife or husband. Your children don't have to be perfectly behaved. You don't have to be medically well. You don't have to be mentally well. You don't have to have the right income. It doesn't matter what education you got. It doesn't matter if you don't have a job. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what background you're from. God, from the start, gives his Holy Spirit by grace because he wants everyone to come. He wants all the nations to come. He wants a world-winning worship through his people that so attracts, that is so understandable and clear so that those who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ might come forward and find the grace that you have found. Christianity, my friends, is literally for everyone because it's not about how good you are. It's all about his grace. It's not about your works. It's all about his works. It's not about your acts. It's all about his acts. It's not about your record. It's about the record of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes down, fills you, empowers you, enthralls you with grace. Oh, man, I'm, I am rejuiced. I am invigorated that we're church planning over in Artesia. But I'm also revitalized that this church also here would be revived. How so? We have to make every effort to make the worship in the word of God understandable. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Don't use lingo. Don't use jargon. Don't use the language that only seminarians would use. Don't have insider jokes. Don't like speaking secret code. Why? Why would we not want to do that? Because from the start, God himself gave his Holy Spirit to inspire and stimulate the worship of God 
to be understandable even for not yet believers. What happens when the Spirit of God comes down? Awe, astonishment, amazement. You won't help it but worship. Two features. First, it's inclusive. Second, last one, we're done. Exclusive. No, that's right. This goes together. Inclusive up front, but it's inclusive because of an exclusive person. You know, invariably, the question should be raised, even by the crowd, after they hear their language, their native language is spoken like perfectly, fluently. Question is, what does this mean? What is going on over here? We think these are drunk people. They're from Galilee, which is a countryside, by the way. It's midday, and now they're speaking my tongue. What does this mean? What does this mean? Now, you know, the Holy Spirit, working in the lives of his people, is going to get you to attract, you know, produce some interest in people who have yet to believe. Maybe by the way you handle stress and anxiety. Maybe by the way they observe you at sports games, how you parent. Maybe by just how honest and faithful and humble you are, even at work, even when it stinks. And then certain people start to ask, because the Holy Spirit's working in you and in them, they start, what are you about? Tell me a little more. What does this mean? Uh, I can't refer enough Pastor Dennis Kang's sermon on Acts chapter 8 on the Ethiopian eunuch, a black man, sexually beyond binary, who is reading the scriptures and says, what does this mean? You see, at some point, someone has to explain. Someone has to unpack. Someone has to preach or teach something. And all the signs and miracles, the wind, the fire, even the healing of a lame man after this, the signs and wonders that the apostles ever did. Can I suggest this to you? Those are appetizers. They're just preparations for the main course. And the main course seems to be the most ordinary, mundane thing that you might be tired of. It's the preaching of God's word. These are all appetizers for Apostle Peter to stand up after verse 13 and preach. It seems like the most ordinary thing, but it is the most extraordinary move of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in this ordinary but extraordinary sermon by the Apostle Peter, he opens up the most inclusive community in all the world. Here it is. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's how you enter into heaven. Here's how you get a whole new identity and belong to a whole new family. It's all by grace. It's just sheer grace. It requires nothing of you, but required everything of him. But I want you to know, it's all made possible by one exclusive person, mediator, savior, God-man, by the name of Jesus. Look at these three verses in chapter 2, starting at verse 23. As Apostle Peter preached, this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Look at verse 32. 32. This is all in Peter's sermon. Verse 32. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all, we all are witnesses. And again in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Why does Apostle Peter keep saying this Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus? Because he wants to make it crystal clear. There is no salvation, forgiveness of sins. You will never have eternal life or enter into the kingdom of God apart from this one exclusive, beautiful Jesus. This Jesus, not your Jesus. This Jesus, not the Jesus of Christian nationalism. No, 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 no. Not the Jesus of political campaigns. Not the Jesus of you're after power. Not the Jesus of empire building. Not the Jesus of the state. Because the state and the empire killed him. This Jesus. This Jesus. Not the Jesus of your personal prejudice. Anne Lamott. She always has great jokes. If your God hates all the exact same people that you do, you can be sure that's a God you made up on your own. If God judges and hates exactly all the same people you hate and judge, you've made that God. What did Apostle Peter say? This Jesus, don't be so quick to be prejudiced and biased in judging other people. He says, you killed him too. His blood is on your hand. You crucified him. This Jesus, not the Jesus of health and wealth. Oh, certainly not the Jesus of health and wealth. Maybe he won't make you better. Maybe he won't make your family better. Do you know why? Because he was perfectly faithful and obedient, yet he was crucified. And in this one exclusive Jesus... Peter, who centers his entire sermon and closes with him and says, anyone, look, everyone could get this. God had him crucified at the cross. He raised him up from the dead so that all your sins can be forgiven. And now you could be filled by the Holy Spirit. That's how he closes his sermon. This is for everyone in the world. All you got to do is repent. Stop living for yourself. Stop trusting yourself. Stop overestimating yourself. Stop trying to make up for all the wrongs you have done. Repent. Believe. Believe. Trust and rest in Jesus that he has done all the work to wash away all your sins. And then he says, get baptized. Go public. Hey, go public that you believe and follow Jesus and join a church. And then he promises at the end of the sermon, 3,000 actually respond and added that day. They repent, they believe in Jesus, they baptize and get joined a church, and then the Holy Spirit comes rushing in and all your sins are washed away. Most inclusive because of sheer grace. Nothing is required of you. Everyone can come. But exclusive 
Everyone can come to one exclusive person. Everyone is invited because of one Savior. Exclusive because of glory. When the Holy Spirit falls down, people get provoked and they erupt in worship. There's awe, transcendent amazement. You kind of almost forget people around you. You grow less and less self-conscious. But you find your delight and a whole new life in the presence of God. And in that worship, there is grace to include everyone. And in that worship, there is an exclusive object of all your worship. There's only one person who deserves the highest and ultimate and eternal glory. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit work this way? Because the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ above all. The person of the Holy Spirit is obsessed with, happy with, he's the best, best man, groomsman you could ever find, who will highlight, spotlight, just celebrate, adore, without any hint of competition or discontent, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Pastor Joey Novenson used to work at Lookout Mountain Church uh, in Tennessee. I think he's semi-retired. He shares a story that at the age of 21, two months after he was married, before he began his gospel ministry, before he became a chaplain at first, took a job at a sheet metal factory. Ten minutes into that job, ten minutes in, his left hand got stuck in that sheet metal roller. And instinctively, he threw his right hand in to rescue and free his left hand. And both hands were crushed. He said he screamed so loud, his ears rang. Joey Novenson, he says, um, had to experience 17 surgeries on his hands. The surgeon took bone from his hip, flesh from his chest, tendons from his wrists to rebuild his hands. Pastor Novenson shares he's indebted to that surgeon for the first several billion years into eternity because without disability insurance, he has no idea how he would have paid off the bills without the mercy of the surgeon and the doctor. As for his newlywed wife, Barb, Joe shares that for a full year, he literally had to hold his hands above his head. As soon as his hands descended and went below his heart, they would immediately swell with excruciating pain. He slept with his hands above his head on top of an igloo of white pillows that his wife Barb would make. And of course, Joey Novenson lovingly recalls for that full, full year, how his wife cared for him in every imaginable way. How his wife cared for him in every imaginable way. Now, my friends, this morning, 
do you sense, can you see how Jesus has saved you? How he keeps on saving you all the days of your life? How Jesus has loved you? And how Jesus has cared for you in every imaginable way. And if you do, that's the work of the Holy Spirit filling you. If you can see and sense how much Jesus has loved and cared for you and cared for you and cared for you and cared for you through the valley of the shadow of death, through the long night, the long darkest night of your soul, from the depression, from that blowout, from that addiction, from that trauma. And if you could experience any of how Jesus has cared for you in every, uh, every imaginable way. I assure you that's the Holy Spirit because that's what you, the Holy Spirit loves to do. Some of you today, quite frankly, you do not have the Holy Spirit. You don't. You don't get the Holy Spirit because you go to church. You get the Holy Spirit when you stop living for yourself you believe and live for Jesus, you get baptized and you really join a church and all your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit fills you. There are others of you in this room who are starving. You're spiritually starving. I would say you're stunted. There's no joy. There's no purpose. It's all routine. You're on the fence even questioning how long can you keep this up? May I encourage you, my friend, this day? Maybe you're on a different mission. Maybe you're after a different glory. Maybe you're not about the Holy Spirit and what he's obsessed about. The Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus Christ above all. And if you get on the same page with the Holy Spirit and does what he wants you to do, I wonder what will happen to your spiritual vitality. Some of you have been on this mission, and you're working really, 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 really hard, especially through COVID and post-COVID. Oh, the statistics of people are burning out. It's just through the roof. My heart goes out for it. But can I also encourage you, my friends, you might be on the same mission to spread the gospel, spread the gospel, spread the fame in the name of Jesus, but are you trying to outrun and outdo the Holy Spirit? Do you do it apart from the Holy Spirit? Have you made it all about you once again? Apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, dear friends, CCSC, in Artasia as well to become a church plant. Here is all I know from the book of Acts so far. Holy Spirit-filled people love to worship Jesus. They just erupt with worship to Jesus because they love the awe, the amazement, the astonishment. They love how they get to fall in love with Jesus again and again and again and again. 
Holy Spirit-filled people love the worship and the glory of Jesus. Because Holy Spirit-filled people know there's no greater love, so there's nobody greater I could glorify. There's nobody who loves me and cares for me like him. Why would there be anybody else I would look to glorify more than him? But also Holy Spirit-filled people love to share what Jesus has done for you. Holy Spirit-filled people love to share the gospel of how Jesus cares for you in every imaginable way. In understandable ways, in intelligible ways, in clear ways, in accessible ways, in inviting ways, in appealing ways. And when the Holy Spirit fills you, my friends, with this gospel, you will do it with unusual boldness. You will care less and less and less about what people think and say. More and more about what God thinks and says. Holy Spirit people will love to share what Jesus has done for you and what he continues to do for you with unusual ingenuity, creativity, to break through all kinds of barriers with all patience, with all kindness, with all humility, with even tears, with persuasion, with earnestness. You will make every effort and you will persevere and keep at it. There's no obstacle or hurdles that may come your way that can get in the way of what the Holy Spirit really wants you to do. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ above all. The Holy Spirit wants the, the entire world to know there is no one else who can love and save them like him. And if it be so that Jesus Christ alone is Lord in Christ... Savior risen from the dead that can take away all your sins, set you free from yourself, from Satan himself, have you rise on the other side from death. If the Holy Spirit fills you with that news, my friends, how, how in the world can we go about on a different mission after a different glory? Oh, pray with me. Pray with me this day. Pray with me through the season as we go through the book of Acts. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill us all with the Holy Spirit. Fill us all with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus who lived and died and has risen again, has ascended and has a mission for your church to accomplish. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us how busy and distracted and forgetful and self-preoccupied we become. Raise us anew. Fill us again. And Lord, I pray for any friend here who needs forgiveness. Who needs a God and Savior to take him or her as they are. Bring them to faith this day, right here, right now. May they be baptized and join this church or any church and follow you all the days of their lives. God, to you be all the glory, all the praise this day as we sing now. In Jesus' name, amen.